Oche Ogbaji and Mark Williams advanced to the final four. So we are going to give you his, their NBA scouting reports. And we will also be previewing and recapping the Elite Eight and the final four and championship game up ahead, ahead on Locked On NBA Draft. You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making Locked On NBA Draft the first listen of your Tuesday or whatever day you are listening to this on. My name is Richard Stamen. I am with my co-host, Leif Tulin. Leif, this is a crazy weekend in college basketball. The Sweet 16 started on Thursday and the Elite Eight ended on Sunday. What were some of the big takeaways and uh, you still got March Madness fever? I'm sad it's going by so fast, but, but yeah, I absolutely still got the March Madness fever. I can't believe it's already the final four. It felt like just a couple of days ago, I was in San Diego and watching the, the opening weekend. Um, I, I think that my biggest takeaway so far is that teams that have talent and have found a way that's not necessarily the conventional way to win have done the best. I think Villanova is one of the more efficient offensive teams, but they, they won their last game 50 to 44 because it's what they had to do to win. Uh, Duke had to play some really physical teams and have become the best offense in college basketball in the last couple games. And according to statistics and just eye test, they've really adapted well, bounced back nicely from their loss in the conference tournament. And Kansas has really adapted to playing a new style of basketball with Remy Martin healthy. And so it's interesting to see, and obviously Carolina's made a phenomenal run as well. Yeah. And we'll break that down a little bit more as the show continues towards the end. Uh, but you know, this run, by the two guys you mentioned, Oche Baji in Kansas. Uh, I know you said Remy Martin, but uh, Oche is the heart and soul of Kansas. And then Mark Williams, the rim protector for Duke. It inspired us to kind of start doing the uh, these breakdowns. But before we start with the breakdown, today's episode is brought to you by NBA Top Shot. NBA Top Shot is the future of being an NBA fan. Own officially licensed rare NFTs of the greatest moments in NBA history. Sign up today at LockedOn.NBATopShot. Com. So let's start with Mark Williams. He's someone who I know a lot of Mavs fans are probably going to be listening to this because I've been getting every 30 minutes. So why is Mark Williams not a top guy for the Mavs? Why is Mark Williams, you know, Mark Williams, this, he'd be great with Luca. Mark Williams, this, he'd be great next to Maxi. all this. So it, I'm glad that we're doing Mark Williams right now, his scouting report. I personally love the rebounding and everything he does near the rim is outstanding. It just kind of, for me, the more and more away he gets from the rim, the more and more of a liability he becomes. What are some of the things that when you watch Mark Williams, what stands out at first and what, what are some areas you want to see improve for him? I'll make a bold claim here. Uh, I think Mark Williams is far more valuable to Duke than Paolo Bancaro is. So people can come after me for that, but let me explain why. His rim protection is the soul. Like that is that is what makes Duke relevant on the defensive side. They've gone into zones, and one the one thing that's constant is Mark Williams near the rim. Jalen Williams could not finish life. Some of which I've tweeted, oh, Jalen Williams should have made those. And I really like Jalen Williams, but Mark Williams influenced so many shots for Arkansas. Texas Tech, what do they do well? They get to the rim. Mark Williams, when he was in, was able to make them shoot from the perimeter and actually Texas tech had a nice game. Mark Williams is best attribute is his length. He's timing on shot blocking is really good. And I think your point about him becoming a liability further away from basket is fair, but I would say that his recovery speed 
and ability to play drop coverage, which is, I think, the, the what he'll play in the NBA unless the team really buys into switchability, which I just don't don't think is a prudent thing to do for a 19-year-old, uh, 19, 20-year-old, 7-foot-1 guy who blocks shots the way he does. You want to keep him near the rim. So I think you have a valid point that he's not a great switcher and he's, and he's not perfect with his mo- hip mobility. But, man, he recovers back and he times shots to perfection when he's already near the rim. And he's my top defensive rim protector other than Jalen Duran and then, of course, Chet. Yeah, he's really intriguing because of that. He's, he's rare and, like you said, the recovery ability, I think that's one of the most important things in terms of defense. You know, there's a lot of IQ, there's motor, there's recovery ability, just lateral quickness. Um, I think people lose the recovery ability in a lot of that. You watch any elite defender at any position, whether it's uh, – my favorite example is watching either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, luckily. So if you turn on a Clippers game when they're healthy, you'll see it every game if they get beat off the first step, they're still not out of the play. And that's the recovery ability. I feel like that we talk about Mark Williams does get beat at the first step. However, like you said, he's around seven foot, give or take a half inch probably. And he has really long arms and his shot blocking timing is crazy. Um, The only other worry I have about him is, you know, he doesn't shoot. Like I said, the more and more, the further, further away you get from the rim, more and more of a liability. He is. Um, I, I do wonder one last thing on the defense well, yes, he is going to impact every shot near the rim. Can he be played off in the playoffs in the NBA? That kind of worries me, or even in the regular season off pick and rolls and switches. Uh, like you said, he's great in drop coverage. Uh, but, you know, I've seen that same thing with Avicha Zubac, who was a very good pick and roll drop coverage defender. But, I mean, as a Mavs fan, I, I've been seeing the last two playoffs. Luca has played him off the floor. And granted, that's a superstar against a role player. I don't know what his fate is in that regard, but yeah, just the shooting in the, in the, you know, playing up on defense. I don't know how that's going to scale up to the NBA. I don't know if you share any other or share those concerns or have any other concerns about him, but if not, talk to me about some of the positives that you see in Mark Williams. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer a couple of those things in a positive fashion. I think he's shooting 75% from the free throw line. And while he, I don't expect him to be shooting threes, which is like the sexy new thing in the NBA for centers to do. But if you if he can hit a 15 footer, he hit a 15 foot fadeaway against Michigan State as the clock expired. I'm not saying that's like what you're expecting, but I buy into the fact that he'll be serviceable at the free throw line at the NBA level. And then defensively, I think he's a far better like even right now, I think he's a better drop coverage defender than Ivica Zubac. Um, he his lateral mobility isn't great, like you mentioned. Like Luka Doncic is going to do that to just about everyone, and, and maybe more. Like Kawhi and Paul George guarded him, and Luka averaged nearly 35, 40 points in those series. So we talk about two premier wing defenders. Of course, he's going to burn some bigs. Uh, I also think Mark Williams playing the drop coverage is you, you don't expect a rookie to make a huge impact on a winning basketball team. And Evan Mobley's been an exception. You you see. You see LeBron, you know, those type of guys are so, so transcendent. I'm not saying Mark Williams is going to do that, but I think give him a couple of years, he'll be serviceable and more than serviceable come play out on a playoff team where he can be the anchor of a, de- a solid defensive team that is competing for a title. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I don't mean to say, oh, well, if you can't, because I, I hate it when people say this stuff with Chet too. Oh, how's he going to guard Embiid, Giannis, Jokic, all these players that are literally unguardable. So I don't, I don't want to come across as that guy who's doing that because that's not at all what I'm going for. More just the general principle about how some drop coverage guys who are mediocre uh, in terms of perimeter defense and one level, you know, I don't know how it scales up. It could make him a liability. Uh, like I said, the Zubac doesn't get played off in the regular season. We don't really know how 
how he gets played off too well uh, outside of non-Luca players. So it is a harsh field to judge him off of. But uh, I like what you said, though, turning that stuff into positives. Also, I, I don't know if we've touched on this. His rebounding is really good. Uh, I think that's a huge strength of his. And overall, the athleticism, especially on the glass, that combination of athleticism plus the length, I mean, I, I think that's a, a lethal combo that's going to translate in the NBA. And one other thing before I hand it back to you, um, like you said, the free throw percentage, his form looks good. He just doesn't take jump shots. And I never know how to project that kind of stuff because some guys, and I, I think it really does depend on the player because DeAndre Aiden has good free throw percentage, shot mid-range in Arizona and barely even shoots mid-range in the NBA now. Like, So I don't know what to make of that. Um, I don't know where you are on that, if his upside on that, and then uh, we can close this out with any other strengths you see, because I think it, for me, it just comes down to the physical tools are the main selling point with him. I think that's the, that's completely accurate. The physical selling uh, tools are the selling point, but I would say he's got above average touch for a guy who's 20 years old and he's seven feet tall and he's, he's kind of growing into his body. He's put on a lot of weight in his two years at Duke and when he finishes around the rim, he throws down a lot of dunks, which I always find is a good selling point because, you know, you want the bigs to finish when their job is to roll catch, but he catches balls that are low. He catches balls that are high. He goes up and he's fairly composed. He doesn't get too rushed near the rim. I'm not saying he's going to be a back to the basket threat necessarily, but he is competent when the ball is put into his hands and it's not necessarily an immediate dunk. Uh, he can give you an up fake finish on either side. And I've been impressed with that. And then obviously the main selling point is, Defensive rim protection drop coverage is kind of where the NBA is. Obviously, switchability is super desired, but very few can do it when you're seven feet tall. And I think I think he's played himself into the lottery. I think a lot of people fell in love with the idea of Walker Kessler because he has the potential to shoot and he, sh- he blocks just a few more shots. But I, t- I told you when we talked about Walker Kessler a month or two ago, I thought Mark Williams was a better prospect just because he's more athletic and he fits modern NBA better other than the appeal that Walker Kessler could be a three-point shooter. And I just don't necessarily buy that or his athleticism. And I think we're on the same page there. So I just bring that up. And we're going to talk about someone with three-point shooting athleticism coming up. And that's Ochai Baji. But before I get there, I want to tell you guys about NBA Top Shot. NBA Top Shot is the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. Connect with a passionate community of NBA fans across the globe and build your own collection with your favorite moments from NBA history. NBA Top Shot is the future of what being an NBA fan looks like. It's part trading cards, part stock market, and part fantasy sports with a built-in loyalty program. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards and made it easier to buy, sell, and trade by removing the hassle of card grading, shoeboxes, and binders. Their 24-7 peer-to-peer marketplace lets you scroll through all of your favorite players and teams. Once you find the moment you've been looking for, you can buy it within a couple of clicks. Now, I hear all the time, why would I buy something that I could watch on YouTube or free? And I tell those people, it's not about watching a highlight. It's about having ownership in the stock market of the NBA's greatest moments. And owning the NBA Top Shot moments can get you access to unbuyable once-in-a-lifetime experiences. For example, last year, Top Shot flew out a group of fans to Phoenix for Game 5 of the NBA Finals for just having Phoenix Suns moments in their collections. The following week, Top Shot flew out a group of fans to New York for the NBA draft, and these collectors have, have gotten to go to dinner with four future first-round uh, first picks the night before they were drafted and play basketball with New York Knicks star Obi Toppin. If you play, if you sign up for NBA Top Shot today, the best way to start is getting yourself a starter pack. You can pull a moment for a superstar like LeBron or KD or star rookies like Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley for just $9. Head over to Locked On 
www.nbatopshot.com to start building your collection today. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. And on average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has saved over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnMBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnMBA. It could save you thousands a year. So getting back to our scouting reports, uh, we are going to go next to a different Final Four team uh, star, you know, Oche Baji, the premier shooter who last year he came out as a junior and I thought he may have been a second round pick. And this year he's just absolutely exploded heading into the uh, final four matchup. He's averaging 19 points per game on five rebounds a game, one and a half assists, one steal, half a block. And that's on 47% shooting. That's compared to last year. He shot 42% on five less points per game. And the three-point shot is up to 40%, up from 38% last year. And the most important thing of all, his free throw percentage is at a career best, 76%. It's the first time in his college career that he is averaging over 70%. And just to kind of add a little bit more element of how dominant he has been, um, he has, over the regular season, his three-point shot was up to 41%. There was a period heading into February where he was still shooting 45% from three. He's just been incredible. Uh, so, Leaf, obviously the shooting, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it um, beyond the fact that, you know, he can shoot at any angle. I think that's the last thing we really need to say about his shooting. What else do you like about Oche Agbaji? His defense. I think you look at a guy like Agbaji, his length pops off the screen, especially against college players. He overwhelms them with length. He's got athleticism. And he tr- converts his defensive ability into offense, which I think is an underrated skill for a guy who's a three and D. And that's what he is. His knocks come from lack of individual creation. And that's not what he's going to do in the NBA. So I don't find that to be a terribly applicable knock. And what is super impressive about him is he'll poke a ball away, run it down, be unselfish, and then soar for an alley And you, you see players like that in the NBA are adored by their fan bases and hated by others. And I think he's one of those guys who's not only just a supreme hustle guy, but he provides a unique skill in terms of his shooting ability. But his, his like essence comes from how good he is defensively. He can score without having to shoot the ball. And then, of course, you get the 46, 47% three-point shooting as an added benefit. And I think he's played himself into lottery consideration. Yeah, on ESPN's mock draft that they dropped on Monday, he was number 12. Uh, he's, he's climbing. I thought maybe he would be a good Mav or Nugget pick. Uh, but that may just become unrealistic at this point. I mean, being on a Final Four team is always going to boost your stock, ask Mo Wagner. Um, the, another thing to touch on, like you said, with his defense, you know, I don't think he jumps off the chart on defense. Like, he's not going to, like, lock guys down, but he certainly isn't going to be a traffic cone. And when you're, a, when you're like, labeled that 3 and D guy, if that three-point shot is going, all you need is that adequate defense. Just don't be bad is the way I look at it. And, like, because I, I really do think, and, like, Lee, if you and I – Obviously, we are amateur, very, very, very amateur players. But, like, you know, 
whenever you play basketball at any level, I think this scales up. If you are not a bad defender, you're probably a good defender in some way, right? Like if you're not being alive, like to me, it's messing up and not messing up, not really good or bad. That's kind of how defense is in a lot of ways. And that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But I do think there is some merit to it. Uh, and for him with that defense, you know, not going to lock guys up, but he has the tools. He doesn't make mistakes. I think that kind of adds up. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do. I think the fact that he's above average athletically and his physical composition just makes him a good defender as long as he's aware of where he is and he's got a motor. And I think he checks both of those boxes. And then, like you said, if you, if you can be competent defensively at the NBA level and you can shoot, you've got yourself quite a role. I think you said, I think you said it best. And I, I actually think he's a great athlete on defense. He's probably like above average, like you said, athletically, but his offensive athleticism, man, his cutting ability and off ball ability really complement his athleticism because uh, I posted it. I've seen him now three times in person, I think um, at TCU and every single time his head is above the rim on these pregame warm-up dunks. And it's ridiculous. Like he could be in a dunk contest and probably win it. It's just effortless between the legs dunks. You can find the videos on my page. If you search at Mavstraft Oche is all you need to do is first name O-C-H-A-I. Um, and you will see these videos. It's absolutely absurd. Um, what are some other, while well, you kind of round this out, let's talk about, I guess, some of the negatives with him. What do you think he needs to get better at to really unlock that full potential and live up to lottery status? I think his individual creation, we talked about that not being something that he's necessarily touted for. I think if he's able to improve that at all, he could cement himself as a lottery in redrafts because he will be a solid defender, in my opinion. And I think he's going to shoot well at the NBA level. Uh, the question is, can he be more than just a three and D label? That's not like, you know, the three and D labels that are exceptional, like Mikel Bridges, OG Ananobi, those are three, three and D plus guys. I'm not saying he's quite there, but what he can do is he can be very good initially and then have upside because of his athleticism, elite athleticism. Maybe if he could add a little wiggle to his game, a little individual creation, I think he could really cement himself as a redraft in five, 10 years top 14 guy. And that's what you want is, is to have success. It doesn't matter where he goes in the draft. It's once you redraft and you look after their NBA careers to see who's right. And I think, I think that's the, what the main thing I'd miss. I think he's missing. And then I think he can work just a little bit on the fundamentals of defense. Uh, there's times where he gets too upright. I've noticed, but because of his height, he's able to recover and influence college guards. I think against the NBA guards that could be exposed, but I think that's a very fixable thing. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, I, I had some, the, the defensive questions I have for him are just so minor. Um, and then the handle and slashing ability I see as pretty non-existent at the next level. Like you said, he doesn't have much wiggle. Uh, one of my notes, I, I have two very, very to the point notes. And that's unlikely to self-create at the next level uh, or self-create much, excuse me, at the next level. And then simple, minimal slasher. Like if he's not spotting up like a catch and drive, he's probably not going to be driving very much. Like he's going to be shooting and he's going to be cutting. Those are pretty much the main ways he's going to be scoring. Now, mind you, with the shooting, he can score at any level. Uh, he's a great mid-range shooter around Carl's Kansas. Loves drawing that up for him. But one other thing, just one last thing before, you know, before we wrap up and uh, go into the NCAA tournament as a whole is he probably uh, he probably needs to just get better going left. I think that kind of goes into the slashing. But that's that's really the last thing. Any final thoughts before uh, before I wrap this up with Oche Agbaji? Yeah, I just had a 
a interesting thought because you mentioned that ESPN had him 12th. The guy who went 13th this year was Chris Duarte. Do you see any similarities? We, we've we've said early on in this year before Ragbaji was a household lottery name. We we were talking about how he could be and how he he would rise because of the prevalence of Desmond Bain. Do you see any similarities between Duarte and Ogbaji? I think they're different because Duarte handles the ball a little more. But I, I started to think about that just as you were talking. What do you think about that off the top of my head? Yeah, if if you put if you made Oche Ogbaji a point guard, which inherently you're not keeping them one to one skills, you're adding a little bit more guard skills to them. They're really similar. Uh, the way they both play off ball, the defense, um, you know, it's very simple games. It's similar. It's obviously not a one-to-one, and I want to emphasize that's not what you were going for at all, uh, but I do see the similarities. I think it's unfair to both players in this that the first thing that even popped in my head, and I imagine our listeners probably had the same thing, is how old is he? And they're three years apart. Uh, Oche is still 21 by the time of recording this. He has almost another month of being 21. But uh, ultimately, I think it's a really good question if you look at both of them, and I, I personally – I probably think Oche Ogbachi is the better prospect. So um, that, I, I like that thought experiment. So uh, when we come back, though, we will be recapping what we saw this last weekend in the Sweet 16 in the Elite Eight in a little bit more full. Uh, you know, we, we kind of uh, talked about it, teased it at the very beginning, and what we expect in the final weekend of March Madness, even though there are no more games in March. But first, let me tell you about Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. You often endure pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, uh, asking, you know, is your car an LX, EX, whatever it is, and wait while the person behind the counter orders parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry. You have a computer, you have a phone that you can access rockauto.com at, and that can be at home or just simply on the go. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Customers, you know, save 30, 50, even 100% for the same parts uh, from a chain store or car dealership by using Rock Auto. And they're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto's prices are reliably low for every single customer, and they have everything you can need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oils, and new carpet, anything you name it. So go to their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear Us box, or Hear About Us box, excuse me, so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. So back with Leaf to Lean to finish up this episode, and we are going to talk about March Madness. This will probably be our second to last March Madness topic uh, episode and from here on out it'll probably just be scouting reports and uh, mock drafts and big board discussions things like that as the draft is now I want to say you know I should have looked this up before saying it but I want to say it's 85 days away now so we are kind of getting into the heat of it it's June 23rd this year uh, now you know what I am second guessing myself but let's talk about the college basketball weekend Leaf you hinted it at it at the very beginning talk to me again in a little bit more in detail about what you liked from the winners and losers of this weekend. Yeah, I think what impressed me was the teams that have advanced to the Final Four had to dig deep and alter the way that they're traditionally like seen as playing in the way that they were able to win. For instance, Villanova is one of the most efficient offensive teams in the country. They play at a slower pace. 
Um, almost all of Virginia of a couple of years ago, a team that was second uh, most efficient offense, but known for their defense. Uh, Villanova slowed down Houston, kept them off the glass and scored 50 points and advanced to the final four. Uh, Duke is known for having, we just talked about Mark Williams, his amazing rim protection. Duke's defense isn't that great. Mark Williams is Duke defense. And they have become an elite offense playing through Jeremy Roach and Paolo Bancaro and swinging the ball and hitting open shots. They've altered the way they've played a little bit to uh, play through Jeremy Roach as opposed to Trevor Keels. North Carolina, they're shooting a ton of threes, but Armando Baycott's rebounding at an unbelievable level. He's putting up Oscar Shibway level rebounding performances in the tournament. They played a really good uh, UCLA team that was favored to beat them. And UNC came out of that one because of improved guard play, which was the concern throughout the year. And then finalizing it, uh, Remy Martin for Kansas has really helped them stabilize a position that has been a kind of, not I wouldn't say a revolving door. Dewan Harris has been competent, but he's not like, you don't think Dewan Harris and you think, okay, national champions, let's go through all their guards. You usually have an all American or an extremely veteran player uh, leading the way. And now they added Remy Martin, who was projected big 12 player of the year into the mix. And he won the regional MVP as well as having, of course, the aforementioned Ochag, Baji, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, and David McCormick. Uh, they, they're playing faster and they're playing really well defensively locking up Miami. Uh, so I've, I've just been impressed by the coaching jobs and the way these players have been able to adapt to different roles and play styles in, in order to advance because it's survive and advance once you hit March Madness. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said. And uh, just to kind of highlight a couple of draft takeaways from this. And first of all, I want to highlight that you what you said, that Jeremy Roach playing through him, I think has been a massive change. I don't think Duke ended the season very hot. And I let people talk me into that uh, as to why not to choose Duke. I originally had them in the final four, uh, but as we all know, I'm an idiot and don't know how to pick March Madness. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've been very impressed with the way they played through Jeremy Roach, though, letting him initiate offense. And it's been huge for Duke. Uh, I don't have a ton other about Duke to say, but I uh, just wanted to touch on a couple of draft perspective things that one's from a surviving team and one's from an eliminated team. Caleb Love over uh, the four games in the tournament has played pretty well, 38%, 37.5% from three, 18 points per game. He raised his stock. He He's still inefficient, 39% from the field, six of 15 per game on average. But ultimately you're seeing how his play style can help win games. He's been combo guard, uh, I've really been impressed again. I originally had him as high as first round when he was, he started the year off really hot, but then I dropped him back down to the sixties or seventies. I don't know what to do with him. Uh, I'm interested on your thoughts on him. Uh, and then I'll go to my second player. So curious of your thoughts on Caleb Love. I'm not sure I buy into first round hype. I've seen a couple of people on Twitter say like, wow, if Caleb not, Love plays no, like me this. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. Sorry. In the past, I thought that, but not anymore. Yeah, no, no, I know. I, I, I was just saying, I've seen some Twitter. Uh, people say like, wow, he's having the, the uh, Dante DiVincenzo type rise. And, and I'm, I just don't think it's that meteoric. He's been awesome. And I think if he were to come out, he could go in the mid-second. Um, he can shoot the ball and he's shooting really, really well. He had an amazing game against UCLA. His second half was sensational. He had 27 points in the second half against a really good defensive team in UCLA. I, I, I would put him as undrafted, though, um, just because I think his – scoring has never really been questioned that he can do it. His shot selection, even in that game was questionable and I haven't seen him play make. I think he should come back for another year and then be the man and then 
show off playmaking ability when you're more comfortable on a team that's kind of proven to win now that you're in the final four and not just playing for, I mean, they've been playing on fumes as they were like a bubble team late February, early March. And here they are in the final four. And I think, I think once he settles down and then plays composed for a full year, I'll buy into it more than I would after just a couple of weeks, but maybe, maybe I'm too low on the, uh, on the March madness. Like it raises everyone's stocks things. Cause I'm, I'm doing the, the opposite. No, I think I'm with you. I moved him out of the seventies into the sixties. I don't think it's even drastic at all. I think if, so, if I told someone like major changes, I would get absolutely clowned for saying something like that. Um, I'm with you, you know, even though he's shooting well, he still does have shooting concerns. The release is really low. I don't know how it's going to get off in the NBA consistently. So I'm still with you on that. I, I ultimately, I'd still be pretty shocked if he ends up being a rotation player in the NBA, but he's someone to keep an eye on uh, going to the eliminated section. You know, I had to take, I don't want to say, I, I was going to, I was going to ask, you know, I was going to, I was going to ask, can I take a guess as, as to who it is? But I, but I, I waited too long. It. <laughs> Isaiah Wong. How did, man, I don't know how you read me so well. No, Isaiah Wong has been my guy since he was a freshman. This is now year three of me uh, pumping Isaiah Wong propaganda. Um, I may or may not be on Facebook shoving propaganda about Isaiah Wong when, in, no, I'm just getting too far, too far. But uh, Isaiah Wong really did have a good tournament. He showed off that space creation scoring at three levels even though his three-point shot was uh, – actually, three levels is a little bit of a stretch considering he shot 21% from three. That was the feedback that teams told him. You know, he entered the NBA draft shortly last year, withdrew uh, pretty early, well before the deadline, and the feedback he was given was, hey, go in and prove that jump shot. Prove you can shoot to us. I do worry that the 21% hurt him. But ultimately, um, 16 points per game – two assists, one steal, four rebounds on 44% shooting and 82% from the line. The free throw percentage has always been there. 75%. He has very good touch, but he winds it up. His shot is like a windmill. Uh, if you remember Malik Newman at Kansas, very similar windup where he starts all the way left on his body and finishes right. It really is like a clock. I mean, that's kind of the best way I would describe it. It's just the way it goes around in a circle or a semicircle. That's really the big issue for him. But, uh, yeah, great tournament. Got them to the Elite Eight Miami, a team that nobody really thought could and would get there. And he he was the main focal point, I would say. I know, obviously, McGusty and a couple other guys played a huge role. But Isaiah Wong is that star of that team. And I hope he uses this to go into the NBA draft. Were there any other standouts before we close this out that, you know, impressed you and made a mark that you had had your eyes on or however you want to look at it? Any other standouts for you? I, I thought that a couple of players improved their stock. I'm not sure they would, I would put them in the standout category. I think Jaime Hawkes improved his stock. I think he was a guy that was like late, late second round. And I think he may have moved himself into early to mid second round. I think that you could, you could make a case for, uh, I've got one that I want to say, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure how much, how much I buy into it. I think EJ Liddell was really, really good. I know he didn't play an amazing game against uh, either Loyola Chicago or Villanova, but you watch what he does on the defensive side. He shoots the ball really well. It's just someone that I've been thinking about moving up on my board, but I had no like validation from the recent um, games, which I know is not something that like really means a ton, but it was because it was two rounds, but I was really impressed against two extremely sophisticated defenses in Villanova and Loyola Chicago. EJ Liddell still got what he wanted. And I think I buy into his shooting stroke and defensive ability at the NBA playing the four, even though a lot of people only think he can play the three. I, I think, I think he can play the three, the four and be a solid player. And I've got him moving up slightly up my board as well. 
Yeah, he's someone who I still have a hard time reading. Uh, sometimes I wonder if his game will translate, but uh, when it comes to mock drafts, I do think he is someone who's a little bit overlooked. Uh, you know, we're doing a mock draft right now together. Um, we're, in a, we're in a big mock that we'll eventually release, probably actually today when you're hearing this. And I don't think Haquez was chosen. Yeah, he has, we have a few picks left, but Haquez hasn't been chosen, and I think he is someone who's in the mix. He's a guy who teams are going to, you know, I think – Every year there's a weird pick, and a lot of times it feels like it's from UCLA. I still cannot believe Thomas Thomas Welsh got drafted in 2018, but here we are. Hawkes is a bit much better prospect, so I could see him getting drafted. But again, just the translation to the NBA, I think you touched on it really well as to why he may or may not uh, translate, captures it pretty well. But uh, that'll do it for this episode. Next week we're going to do a couple more deep dives, and by then the NCAA tournament, will be over. Uh, we're kind of in a weird situation to be completely tr- transparent. We record on Mondays. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but a week from today when we're recording Monday is the title game. So we may be up late, who knows, uh, but we're very excited for any matchup of uh, the opportunity of either Duke, Kansas, Duke, Villanova, or North Carolina, uh, Kansas, North Carolina, Villanova. Really excited for what's in store, but uh, for Leaf to Lean, my name is Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter. If you uh, want to follow either of us, Leaf is at Leaf to Lean, L E I F T H U L I N. And it's all in the description as well uh, when you're reading this. But that'll do it for us. And for your second listen of the day, go ahead and listen to Locked on NBA. Again, thank you so much for listening and making us your first listen of the day. And hope you enjoy this weekend of college hoops.